After that, they wandered around in the desert for a long time. And then, even when they came to the land, they had to wipe out the inhabitants that were currently there. And that was something they didn't do a very good job with. They actually left a lot of the inhabiting nations there. And God warned against this, saying that these people, if they didn't wipe them out, would become a snare to them. And that they would turn their hearts away from the Lord and start to uh, get them to chase after idolatrous foreign gods. And that's exactly what happened. And so with that, Israel ran into problem after problem after problem uh, because of these foreign nations that they allowed to exist in their land. One, they corrupted their hearts in idolatry. And two, oftentimes these uh, nations would do various things to Israel, like burn their crops or enslave them. or and, and different ways they would oppress the nation of Israel. And so as this would happen, Israel would be like, oh shoot, we really messed up. And they would cry out to God and ask for deliverance. And so God would be gracious, and he would raise up a military leader that we call a judge, and he would deliver Israel from whoever it was that was oppressing them at the time. And then, unfortunately, they would fall back into a cycle of sin, and the same thing would happen. Bad, bad things would happen to them, they'd call out the Lord, God would deliver them again, so on and so forth. This happens quite a bit throughout the book of Judges. Last week, we looked at a guy named Gideon, who was one of those judges. We're going to fast forward about 175 years later, uh, to where we find this guy named Samson, who is the last major judge that we find in the book of Judges. Um, now, the story of Samson, we get more material on him than any of the other judges in this book. He covers four chapters, so I've got a lot of material I want to cover. I'm going to have to do a lot of summarization, uh, but I, I decided I wanted to kind of break his life up and the way we're going to look at it into three parts. And the first is, we're going to look at uh, the time before Samson's birth. There was actually a lot of important stuff that happened there. We're going to look at his life before his first haircut, and we're going to look at his life after his first haircut, okay? I, I don't know why, like, moms think that first haircuts are a really big deal a lot of the time. Like, people post pictures about that and stuff. I don't get what the deal is. But Sam, for Samson, his first haircut was a really big deal, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but anyway, let's just pray that God will guide us this morning, and we'll dive into the scripture. Um, Lord, we love you so much, and uh, we just thank you that you are our God. Lord, we thank you uh, that you have, have called us into your people, Lord, that you have um, closed the gap between us through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Um, we put our faith in him. We put our hope in him. God, we want to learn from you. We want to grow closer to you, and we ask that uh, as we get into the scripture this morning, that you would speak through me, that you would speak through your word, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would bring us closer to you. Lord, help us to fall more in love with you. I pray that if there's anywhere that we are walking in sin, Lord, that you would expose that and that you would correct that, Lord. If there's any way that we need to be encouraged this morning and to remember the promises that you've given us, to remember who you are, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us through those things as well. God, we love you so much and we just want to give you all the glory this morning. So be with us. Help us to engage uh, mentally this morning and to let this not just be part of our weekly ritual, but to be something uh, that actually makes an impact on our life and in the lives of the people around us. Uh, we love you. In your son's awesome name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, so the time before Samson's birth, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Judges chapter 13. Uh, the story of Samson covers Judges 13 through 16. Um, but we're going to kick it off at Judges 13 verses 1 through 5. We read this. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of Danites, 
whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Okay, um, so we see that we're in this situation where Israel had messed up. They again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God hands them over to the Philistines for 40 years. Okay, that's actually one of the longer periods of oppression that we'll see in the book of Judges. And then all of a sudden, uh, we see this character, the angel of the Lord. If you were with us last week, I actually talked uh, at length about that, um, who I think is actually the pre-incarnate uh, Jesus Christ. But anyway, um, if you're confused by that, you can go back and listen to the sermon from last week if you weren't here. This guy appears and he tells him, hey, you're going to have a son and I want him to be devoted to the Lord and he's going to be somebody that will begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, this is great news to this woman for several reasons. First off, we've seen in the text that she's barren. Okay. Now, any woman that wants to have a child, even in today's culture, is, is usually pretty... Uh, grief-stricken over the fact when, that they can't have a child if they learn that, okay? But in this culture, that's even a bigger deal because this was one of the greatest ways that women w- were seen to have value in this culture was to be able to produce children. And so this woman would have actually been uh, bearing a lot of shame over the fact that she was unable to do that. So this angel comes and tells her that she's going to have a son. That's great news in and of itself. But not only that, there's something more. This son is going to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. So not only is she getting a personal blessing, but this child that she's going to have is going to begin to deliver his people from an oppressor that they've had for 40 years. And this brings me to my first point, which is the fact that God uh, does wonderful things. He gives us wonderful gifts that we don't expect and sometimes we don't even ask for. You'll find, I told you Samson was the uh, last major judge in the book of Judges, and um, One of the things that that you'll see is generally in this cycle of sin, Israel will cry out to the Lord and he provides a deliverer. Well, we just read the first five verses of this and you'll notice that Israel actually didn't cry out to the Lord this time. There was no crying out to the Lord. It just says that they were given into the hands of the Philistines and yet God takes it upon himself to come and provide someone as a deliverer. You see, we oftentimes don't know what to ask for. Sometimes we don't really get, we we don't even fully understand what our needs are. We have no indication that uh, the wife of Manoah was even praying for a son. Maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. We see other examples of barren women where we see that they were praying for children. We have no evidence of that here. We have no evidence that Israel was crying out to God for a deliverer. Yet the Lord decided to provide one anyway. And I love the fact that we serve a God that's so good that not only does he hear our requests, when we ask him to help us, he knows the, the things that we need even better than we do. And that's still true for us today as Christians. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8. He says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and the Spirit is praying for you. How crazy is that? Like, God is praying to himself, and, and like, 
some way, that, with groanings that are too deep for your understanding. Too, to, we, it says we don't even know how we should pray. Israel at this time, they didn't even know how they should ask for deliverance. They didn't, didn't even cross their mind that it was something that they needed to do, but God realized what they needed. And, you know, I think with us a lot of the time, we don't really realize how much we need a Savior. Right? Some of you guys in here that are Christians, you can, you can come back and uh, think of the time when you were saved. And, and before that, it's like, how, how much did you know that you were really lost? You know, what was it that started to, to click in your mind where you realized, man, like, I'm a sinner. Like, I'm messed up. I, I need salvation. This is one of the biggest things, I think, that hinders people from accepting the gospel. I talk to people on campus all the time uh, that, frankly, just don't think that they need a Savior. It's not even that they wouldn't necessarily like the idea of Jesus as Savior, but at the end of the day, they really don't think that they need it. They don't even know how to ask for it, but God knows that we needed a Savior. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have an awesome God that knows our needs even better than we do. And he addresses them oftentimes before we're even aware of how we should ask. Man, what an awesome God we have. Okay, so... Um, as you can imagine, this woman is pretty excited about this news that she gets. Yes, one, I'm getting a son. Two, he's going to deliver us uh, from Israel. So she runs and tells her husband, who's this guy named Manoah. And Manoah's stoked, but at the same time was like, man, I kind of wish that I got to, to hear this message too. So he prays and he says, God, like, send, send that guy back that was, that was the messenger. And God is gracious and actually sends the angel of the Lord back. And uh, so once again, the angel appears to his wife, and this time she runs and gets her husband. And so Manoah comes, and he wants details, right? Manoah seems to be a detail-oriented guy. Uh, he, he comes in there, and he has a question. He says, now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? And the angel responds simply by saying, just have your wife do what I already told her. He doesn't give any new details. He doesn't answer the question that Manoah has. You see, I think that a lot of time we're like Manoah. We want all the details, right? Like, don't you wish that God would just give you, like, a play-by-play game plan of, like, every decision, like, this is what you should eat for breakfast tomorrow, and this is, like, this is, you should change your major to this, or whatever else. Like, we, we want all of these kind of details ironed out for us, right? And the, the fact is that God has not decided to do things for us that way. God, God reveals himself to us. He gives us a lot of information. He gives us the info that we need. But you know, I'm actually thankful that he doesn't give us every single detail. You know why? Because it forces us to stay close to him. And honestly, I think that that's why so many of us want that play-by-play exact guidebook. Because if we do that, we can run off on our own direction and we don't have to actually consistently stay close to God and consistently be quieting our soul and listening and asking the Lord how to guide us and how to direct us. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller says this. He says, uh, God's message to them, which is Manoah and his wife, is a message to all of us. We think we need rules, but we need to know God. God does not and will not give us a guidebook for every twist and turn, every doubt and decision in our lives. He gives us something much better. He gives us himself. You know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, God gives you the Holy Spirit. One of the things that the Spirit does is he helps to lead you in truth. Uh, but I talked a little bit last week about the importance of us abiding in Christ. If you want to hear from the Lord, you're going to have to continue to abide in Him. You're going to have to take time to quiet yourself and to listen and to pray and to ask God to guide you. Uh, I, I've had an illustration that was given to me one time about the difference between, there, there's two places to get somewhere, right? 
Um, you can either take the address and drive there by yourself and put it in your GPS, and I'll tell you every step-by-step direction of, of how to go. Or you can have your friend that knows where they're going sit and give you turn-by-turn directions as you're going to that place. You see, God wants us to do option number two. He doesn't give us the GPS. We get a general destination, but we don't have every step-by-step turn. But he's sitting there with us, and he's telling us, turn here, go there. But we have to listen to him. So the angel of the Lord doesn't give Manoah the details he's looking for, but instead he does something incredible. He reveals himself to Manoah in a very extraordinary way. If you uh, remember from Gideon last week, Gideon brought out a sacrifice and the angel of the Lord consumed it with fire that sprung up out of this rock. Well, pretty much the exact same thing happens with a sacrifice that Manoah brings out. And just like Gideon was scared last week, he realized, oh my goodness, like, I'm going to die. I've seen God. Manoah has the same reaction. He's like, oh my goodness, I've seen God. I'm going to die. But God in his graciousness allows them to live. And, and what the angel said would happen comes to pass. And they have uh, a newborn son, and they name him Samson. And that's going to bring us to uh, life before Samson's first haircut, okay? (laughs) Now, you might be wondering why I'm making such a big deal of this hair, by the way. Okay, I I don't want you to get the idea of Rapunzel, where it's like, he doesn't have like magical hair that you can sing to and brings you, makes you young again or whatever. That's not what's going on with Samson's hair, okay? Uh, It it is very, very important, but there's nothing inherently magical in and of itself. Um, Samson's hair is significant because it symbolizes his consecration to the Lord. You see, when the angel came and and spoke to Manoah's wife, he said that he would be a Nazarite from his birth. And and that goes back, if you go to Numbers chapter 6, you learn about this thing that someone can take called a Nazarite vow. And that's a vow that you would take, and you would follow the stipulations the angel gave, one of which was that you wouldn't cut your hair. But it was always for a prescribed period of time. And and in that time, you were specifically setting yourself apart for God for a specific purpose. The word Nazarite literally means dedication by separation. And so with Samson, he was supposed to be a Nazarite from the time that he was in the womb. God had set him apart specifically for the mission that the angel told about, right? This is going to be the guy that will begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So it's not so much that the hair is magical in of itself. It just symbolizes the fact that Samson is a man that's been set apart for the Lord. But the power is actually coming from the Lord. Now, um, you would think that if Samson was set apart from the womb uh, to be this special, you know, Nazarite, consecrated to God um, dude, that he would be like the holiest, most awesome, pure, righteous, pious guy ever, right? Like, wouldn't you think that if if you grew up that way? Like, this furthest thing from it, okay? Samson uh, was definitely no choir boy, okay? Um, He actually is probably the most immoral judge, or at least one of the most immoral judges uh, that we see. Um, He was actually a man of pretty low character in a lot of ways that you'll see throughout his story. One of the first things that we see about Samson is that he was very impulsive, and he had very little control over his sex drive. So he was like the average guy. Um, (laughs) So this is what we we read about Samson in... uh, so we read about Samson in Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, 
Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me. Okay. So, so Samson saw a hot girl and decided that's who I want to marry. That, that was his criteria was that she looks good to him. Um, man, okay, like, that is not a good basis for choosing your spouse. I'm just going to let you know, most of you guys here are married. Don't let that be the basis that you choose your spouse. Okay? I, I'm not saying that looks can't play a factor at all, but come on. Like, we can go for a little bit more than just saying, that person's hot, I want to marry them. Um, don't let that be the defining criteria that you use to decide who you're going to marry. Okay? Uh, Samson let his lust rule over him, and it, it caused him to overlook things that were far more significant. And these were the kind of things that his, his parents tried to point out to him, right? He's like, you really can't find anyone among Israel. Like, you're going to go to the uncircumcised Philistines. Now, that idea of uncircumcised, the, the significance of that is basically circumcision was a symbol of, of being in covenant with the Lord. And so they're saying, man, Samson, like, you're dedicated to the Lord. Like, you're, you're a, a man that's supposed to be following the Lord. Why are you going after this, this woman that has no part in that? Like, she doesn't love the Lord. The, the Philistines are not trying to devote themselves to the Lord. What, what business do you have going and marrying somebody like that? But Samson didn't care about that. He only cared about looks. The Lord warned against this kind of thing in Deuteronomy 7, before Israel uh, would enter into the promised land, God said this well, through, through Moses. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. You see, God wanted to warn the people of Israel. You, you cannot start to intermarry with people that don't love the Lord because they will start to turn your heart away from me. Now, there's a couple things I want to know about this. First off, this is by no means a prohibition against interracial marriage, okay? Uh, there are some people that have very foolishly tried to use verses like this to say that God is against interracial marriage. That is not what this is talking about at all. The point is not that the people are of different races. The point is that they're of different faiths, okay? Look at, the, look at what the reason is for why it shouldn't be done, because they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, and man, as Christians, it's the same for us today. Interracial marriage is a great thing. There's nothing wrong with that at all. God is totally for that. Every tribe, nation, and tongue will be represented in heaven. But we cannot be people that allow ourselves to put a person's devotion to God low on our priority list when we're selecting a spouse. The interfaith marriage is what the problem is here. And this is reiterated again in the New Testament when Paul tells us that we should not be unequally yoked. And honestly, when you look at it, it makes sense, right? Like if you're a person that is devoted to the Lord and everything in your life is about loving him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, everything that you do should be flowing back to saying, how can I love God? How can I serve him? then how does it make sense to unite yourself in the most deep way possible with somebody that, that is not trying to do the same thing? It just, it, it will not help you. It will not be a good thing for you. And honestly, um, e even if you are dating somebody that's not a believer, but they, you know, respect your faith or something, by their example, the fact that they are not following the Lord is, will, will subconsciously start to pull you down. 
Because that in and of itself is an example. Their apathy in following the Lord is an example. Now, I'm even talking about Christians for that matter. If you're following hard after Jesus, don't yoke yourself with somebody that's not following hard after Jesus, even if they proclaim to be a Christian. Because that person is not going to be helping push you on towards the Lord. You know, the, the second thing, the point that I want to make about this is that uh, we need to watch out to not be like Samson. We cannot allow uh, the lusts of our flesh and our physical desires to overpower the more important things when we come to finding who we want to date and eventually marry. We need to learn to identify things that are most significant. And in order to do that, you have to figure out what you really want your life to be about, right? If your life is really about following Jesus and, and loving the Lord, then guess what? That should be your highest priority. Is, is a spouse is finding someone that loves Jesus and follows the Lord. If you neglect this, you will be bringing trouble upon yourself. The same way the Israelites did when they were unfaithful to God and driving out the inhabitants of the land. And the same way that Samson would uh, ultimately come to regret, or at least I assume he would come to regret because things didn't work out very well, uh, his decision to marry a woman like this. Now, if you're reading along in your own Bible, you might be disagreeing with what I'm saying because the very next verse uh, after, after he says this and his parents disagree with him, the very next verse says this. Uh, However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. So you might read that verse and think, oh no, like actually God like wanted him to, to marry this Philistine. It was a good thing. I'm not sure that's exactly what that's saying. Uh, just because something is of the Lord I don't think is inherently saying that it was the right decision, okay? God uh, uses bad decisions all the time to accomplish his will. Uh, the, the greatest uh, example is the crucifixion of Jesus, okay? Uh, I don't think Pilate made a good decision in choosing to send Jesus to, to be crucified or that the Pharisees made a good decision uh, in, in, in uh, coercing the Roman government to crucify him or that Judas made a good decision in choosing to betray Jesus. Now, you can make an argument that maybe all of those things were quote-unquote of the Lord, but you know what Jesus said that it would, be, would have been better for the guy to have never been born that betrayed him. So, while, yes, it was of the Lord in the sense that God would use this, I don't think that's inherently an endorsement of saying Samson did the right thing. But we have a God that works through foolish decisions all the time. So what goes on with Samson is he does end up marrying this girl, the hot girl. And um, so weddings in this day were like big deals. They would last like a week. So they have this like week-long wedding celebration. And uh, at this time, Samson decides that uh, he's going to make a bet with some Philistines that they can't solve a riddle that I'll give them. And so they're like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take you up on that bet. And uh, he tells them this riddle, which is kind of ridiculous. I don't have time to get into details of it. But anyway, um, there's no way they could have ever come up with it. And they start to realize that, and they're like, huh, how are we going to figure this riddle out? Well, maybe we'll go to his wife, and she'll tell us. So she's like, they're like, hey, uh, if you don't tell us the answer to this riddle, we're going to murder you and your family. And, and she's like, well, I don't know the answer to the riddle. They're like, well, you better find out. So she starts, she starts begging Samson to tell her the answer to this riddle. And finally, Samson does. And so she turns and, and tells these Philistines. And so uh, at the end of the allotted time that they had to figure it out, they give him the right answer to the riddle. And Samson figures out what they did. He realizes that they went and talked to his wife. But he still has to pay up his debt. And so uh, what, what the reward was, was he had to give them 30 outfits, okay? Um, so he decides to go and murder 30 people and give those outfits to, to the Philistines. And that's how he paid the debt. Um, but 
Anyway, as you can imagine, Samson was pretty angry at this point, and he decides that he just needs to go away for a little bit. So rather than going back to his wife, he goes out to his parents' house and just needs to blow off some steam. Well, while he's away at his parents' house, things get worse, because you know what happens? The father of his new wife that had just recently betrayed him um, decides, well, I, you know, I don't know if he's really coming back or not, so he marries her off to a different guy. And so Samson comes back, and all of a sudden his wife is married to somebody else. And uh, as you can imagine, he's not pleased with that either. So uh, this kind of sends him into a spiral of uh, rage and violence to where um, he ends up burning a bunch of Philistine crops by actually tying foxes together with torches. It's pretty awesome. You can read about it in Judges 15. But he burns a bunch of crops by using foxes. And uh, with, with that... The, uh, the Philistines, of course, get angry, and so they want some revenge. So because he burned their crops, they decide, okay, well, we'll go burn your wife. So they find his, his wife that had betrayed him, the hot girl, and they end up burning her and her dad. And uh, as you can imagine, Samson gets angry again. And so he goes down and then slaughters a bunch more Philistines. You get the idea. Samson kills a lot of people when he uh, gets upset. He was a man of great strength. Um, but anyway, there's fighting back and forth, back and forth between him and the Philistines. But uh, at one point, Samson even kills a thousand men with a, a donkey's jawbone. Um, but anyway, as you can imagine, things had, had not really turned out for Samson the way that he was probably hoping they would. And, and so in my mind, you know, he's kind of at rock bottom. And we see one night he, just, he goes and he finds a prostitute and he sleeps with her. And uh, while he's with this prostitute, the Philistines hear about it. And like, oh great, like this is our chance to capture this guy. So they surround the place where he is. But he wakes up at midnight, literally tears the city gate down, and escapes. <laughs> They're like, what? this guy's like the Incredible Hulk. There's nothing that we can do uh, to, to stop him. And so uh, they realize there's got to be some sort of super, supernatural explanation for why this guy is so strong. They've been repeatedly unable to defeat him, and he's literally been killed. He's killed over a thousand Philistines by himself at this point. Um, but Samson has a weakness for women, as we've already seen. And uh, at this point in the story, we are introduced to his most famous love interest, which is a woman named Delilah. Um, the, by the way, the worst part about preparing this sermon for Samson is that you constantly have the song, Hey There, Delilah, stuck in your head. So I'm looking forward to getting that out soon. Um, but anyway, he meets this, this woman named Delilah. Once again, not, not a woman of very high character. And the Philistines go to her, just like they did to uh, his, his previous wife. And they're like, hey, we want you to figure out how we can capture Samson. And if you do, we'll give you a bunch of money. She's like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And so she just, she's not even sly about it. Like, she straight up asks him, like, Samson, you know, like, where's your strength come from? And, like, how can we afflict you? And he's like, oh, like, this is how you do it. And he, he gives her some lie for an answer. Um, and, but anyway, she tries it, and, she, you know, she, bind, she uh, binds him with this. And she says, the, the Philistines are here. And he, he snaps out of it, no problem. Um, and, and so she's like, oh, why did you lie to me? Like, tell me how you actually do it. And so he lies to her again. They try it again. He snaps out of it. He's fine. It happens a third time. And finally, Delilah is like, my goodness, dude, like, you, you say that you love me, but you won't tell me how to bind and afflict you. It's like, this is a very unhealthy relationship, okay? If, 
if you are in a relationship like this, you need to get out, okay? <laughs> this is not good. Um, but, but anyway, uh, Samson is, is so annoyed with her at this point uh, that he, he finally gives in. We read this in, in chapter 16. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was so annoyed to death. So, so he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, a razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. So she finally annoyed him enough to get the real answer out of him. And so try number four. Uh, she has him fall asleep on her lap and has some guy come in and, and, and cut his hair. And uh, at this point, you must be thinking, how in the world can anybody be this stupid? Like, okay, now I know there's a stereotype for strong guys uh, about a lack of brains sometimes, but come on, like, how can you be this dumb? Um, you know, I, I have a couple ideas maybe about how Samson was falling into these kind of things. Honestly, I, I think that it comes down to the fact that, one, he was probably an adrenaline junkie, and that, two, he was a sex addict. Um, he, there are some people that just really, like, love danger. Some of you guys in this room love danger. I know you guys. Um, and, and, like, I, I think that there was something that Samson honestly, like, got a rush from about the fact that, like, he was constantly being put in danger and constantly being able to escape from it. It was some sort of a high that he was probably getting from this, right? And you look, any time that Samson had ever been in trouble, he was always able to get out of it. I mean, it, it didn't matter whether he was, uh, he was captured and he escapes and kills a thousand Philistines with a donkey's jawbone. It doesn't matter if he's been bound up three times by his girlfriend and he still snaps out every time. It, it doesn't matter what it is. He was always successful. And so I think there was probably some part of him that actually enjoyed this. Um, and then also, you know, I, I think that he, he just had a very serious uh, weakness uh, for, for women and, um, you know, what was not really able to control himself very much there. So that, that's my guess. We don't know exactly. We're not told what the motives are. Um, when you read the story, I'll admit it does seem a little bit ridiculous, but I, I would ask you to step back and say, is this really uh, so different from a lot of the abusive relationships that we see people stay in today? Um, you know, this has always been an intriguing thing, and, and psychologists study this a lot, uh, but, but for whatever reason, uh, people oftentimes stay in abusive relationships for very long periods of time, um, and there are various reasons for why this happens, um, but I, I think that honestly, we can relate to this in a lot of ways. Some of you guys might be in an abusive relationship right now, that for whatever reason, you are allowing somebody to continually manipulate you and hurt you and, and do different terrible things to you. And then, you know, they, they act like they're sorry and you come back and, and, and you just find yourself caught in this cycle, much like Samson and Delilah were, where neither one of them were being good to each other. Uh, there was, their relationship was full of lies. It was full of different kinds of abuse. And, and yet they stayed in it. Um, you know, we, we see in this that Samson is, is really like a, a, a weak man. He's a very strong man, but he's a very weak man at the same time, right? He was completely unable to control his lust. He had serious anger issues. He was incredibly impulsive. He was a liar. He was a killer. And yet he was God's chosen judge over Israel. And, and one of the things we see over and over throughout the scriptures is that God loves to use broken messed up people. 
Like time and time again, we see that. And I'm thankful for that because I think too often we read a story like the story of Samson and we see all of his flaws and we forget that we are broken, messed up, and imperfect people that are full of flaws as well. And, and for whatever reason, it's easy for us to believe that, that God would use a messed up person like me, but we question why he uses a messed up person like Samson. I love the fact that the Bible doesn't pull any punches about the people that God uses. Because if, if Jesus tells me, hey, I'm going to go use you to make disciples, and, and, I, and I become aware of my inadequacies, and I become aware of my flaws, then man, I, I need evidence. Like, does God really use broken people like me? Does God, pe- does God use people that are impulsive or that, that, that can't control their lust? I mean, how many of us in here have trouble controlling our lust? Come on, I know that I do. It's, it's, seriously, we see that God uses people like this, okay? And that's not an endorsement of these behaviors, but it's something to show that God is stronger than your weaknesses, And one of the things that you'll notice is the reason why Samson was able to do all of these things was not because he was an incredible person, but because the Spirit of the Lord was constantly what was empowering him. We can look throughout Judges. I have several verses I've I've pointed out for you here. Uh, Judges 13, 24 through 25 says this, Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of them and took their spoil and gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. So these great feats of strength Samson was able to accomplish when the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. Look at Judges 15, 14 through 15. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds dropped from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, so he reached out and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Uh, over and over throughout this story of Samson, we see the only way that he's able to do these kind of things is because the Lord is empowering him to do this. Remember, God was the one that said, this is the guy that I'm going to use to start to bring deliverance from the Philistines. And in all these great feats of strength, it was always because the Lord was with him. And you know what? The one time that Samson was not able to break out of his bonds, you know why it was? It wasn't just because his hair was cut. Yeah, his hair was cut. But that's not really the real reason. You look at Judges 16, 20, it says, And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed him. The, the Lord was the one that gave Samson his strength. And everything that he did, despite the flaws, despite the imperfections of this man, as a matter of fact, in, in, in some ways, God's power was more mightily shown through such a broken vessel. Because God was able to do these great things through him. And now the Lord had departed from Samson. And at this, at this point, he was weak, just like any other guy. He couldn't escape. And you know, we're not so different from Samson. We're broken people. We have various weaknesses. And it would be easy for us to look at ourselves and say, there's no way that God will be able to use a person like me. But the same spirit that was able to empower a man like Samson is the same spirit that's able to empower people like us. I love what Jesus said to his apostles in Acts 1.8. He said this. This is right after uh, he had resurrected and and soon, uh, right before he was going to ascend into heaven. He said this. uh, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Once again, look at this. We, a lot of time we remember that idea that we're going to be witnesses everywhere. But what did he say would be the thing that's empowering that? 
you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Spirit was what was always empowering Samson and all of the judges, for that matter, that did things for Israel. And the Spirit is what empowers Christians to be able to partake in the, met- in, in the mission that, that God has given us. It's an incredible mission. Transforming hearts, making disciples. We can't do those kind of things by ourselves, especially when you see our, our own problems. But the Spirit of the Lord gives us power. So we need to be people that are constantly connected to the Lord. It goes back to the idea of abiding in Jesus. Are we remembering where our strength comes from? Are we remembering that it's in the Spirit? Are, are we nurturing ourselves in the Word? Are we, are we connected to God through par- prayer? Are we people that are keenly aware that the only way that we're going to accomplish anything in the name of the Lord is by the power of His Spirit? Let Samson be a reminder to us for that. But you know, there's one other way that we're like Samson, and it's that we are easily distracted from our mission. Yeah? Aren't we? I mean, think about this. Samson was this guy that was set apart from the Lord literally from the time that he was in his mother's womb. Yet, what did his life consist of? It was was a constant uh, distraction uh, by women and anger and, and various other things that got him off track, not thinking about what he was really supposed to be doing. And honestly, in a lot of ways, God still used those things, right? God used his lust problem to, to start to bring deliverance from the Philistines. God used his anger problem to start to bring deliverance from the Philistines. So God still worked through those issues. But frankly, we see that Samson's mind, honestly, was not in the right place a lot of the time. And I think for us as Christians, it's the same way. We get so easily distracted by so many other things. And Jesus warned against this. In his parable of the soils, he talks about these four different kinds of soils. And soil number three, I think, is, is the one that we are in danger of being so often because uh, we see that there is uh, something, a root that sprung up. There's some sort of a plant, but it becomes unfruitful. This is what Jesus said. And on the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You see, these people are not people that haven't ex- accepted the word. They're people that allow the deceitfulness of the world, the, the, the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this world, start to come and choke it out. And man, I, I feel like that's what we're in danger of being oftentimes. People that have accepted the word, but my goodness, how much do we let the worries of the world start to choke out the fruitfulness that we can have in living for Jesus Christ? This is why the author of, of Hebrews implores us to strip off the things that are entangling us in the race that we're running after Jesus. He says this, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Man, what sin do you have in your life that's entangling you right now? What encumbrance? What are the ways that that your eyes are not fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Because that's what Hebrews is telling us is that, man, if you want to run this race with endurance, then your eyes are going to have to be fixed there. What are you doing to fix your eyes upon Jesus? What do you need to strip out of your life to start turning them there? I encourage you to get rid of it and to not be sidetracked by the deceitfulness of sin. I want to wrap up our story by talking about Samson's life after his first haircut. It wasn't a pleasant experience, as is the case for uh, a lot of kids when they get their first haircut as well. Um, But for Samson, it was was really bad. 
because uh, we already saw that he was bound, and this time he wasn't able to break out. And so the Philistines, you can imagine how excited they were to get revenge on this guy. So one of the first things they did was they gouged out his eyes. And they, they put him in prison, and they put him to work in prison. And uh, not only would they do that, but they would parade him around, and uh, they would almost they, they would use him as a form of entertainment. And uh, they, they would bring him out, and they would worship their false god named Dagon. And they would say, look how Dagon is, has given this, this Israelite into our hands. And uh, on one occasion, there were thousands of Philistines gathered together in one building. And uh, they were in high spirits. I'm assuming there was a lot of alcohol probably flowing. And uh, they wanted to be entertained. Uh, so they brought him out so that he could amuse them. And at uh, this time, Samson offered up one last prayer to the Lord. He said this, Oh Lord God, Please remember me, and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. God heard Samson's prayer. His strength was restored, and he asked one of the servants to to put his hands on the pillars of the house, of the building he was on, so he could lean against them. And with all of his strength, Samson pushed against these. The pillars knocked down, and the house collapsed, and with it, thousands of people were crushed, along with himself. And so our question is, what can we learn from the ending of this story? And I have three closing points of application, which is, uh, first, I would point out that our, dis- uh, that our disobedience uh, can bring about an occasion for others to slander the Lord. You look at Samson's disobedience, you look at his foolishness in allowing his hair to be cut and all of the other sins that he engaged in, uh, and, and look at what happened. Uh, because of that, the Philistines had occasion to bring him out and to worship their false god, Dagon. And to say, look at what Dagon's done for us. They could mock the Lord how they wanted. And for us as Christians, we need to realize that we're people that carry the name of Christ. And when we start acting foolishly, we start to give people the same kind of opportunities that Samson gave the Philistines. To mock our God. And and to think that he's not as powerful as we claim to say that he is. And so I would just warn you that, just as Paul tells us, we're ambassadors for Christ, okay? If we're an ambassador for Christ, we we carry his message and we represent him in the way that we live. Don't let your life be an occasion for people to mock the God of the universe. Second, uh, we see that God works through painful experiences, okay? Uh, Samson did indeed start to deliver his people from the Philistines, but it was a lot of painful experiences that he had to go through in order for this to happen. And you may have had some very painful experiences that have happened to you. I don't know histories of everybody in here. I know there are a lot of different stories. And I know that some of you guys have been through some very, very painful things. Um, And it can be hard for us sometimes to know why we have to go through those kind of things. And I don't have all the answers for you. I can just tell you that we serve a God that is awesome at making beautiful things out of messed up things. And I would just encourage you to always be looking for how is God going to be able to turn what was terrible, the the terrible, painful experiences I have, how is God going to be able to use this? Because if you're a Christian, God promises that he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now that's a promise only for Christians. But we can see that when we serve a God that, that can make great things out of painful experiences. And finally, we see that God gives grace. You know, I find the, the prayer of Samson to be pretty interesting, right? We, that's the whole prayer that I quoted for you there. And uh, one of the things that you'll notice is that there, there was really no repentance in it. 
there was really no desire for, um, for God's name even to be glorified, actually. He says the reason he wants to tear that, the building down is so he could be avenged of the loss of his two eyes. Um, I, find, I found that interesting that, that God answers Samson's prayer. It seems so selfish. It doesn't seem to be anything about the glory of the Lord. And I don't know why God answered it, but um, I do know that we serve a God that gives grace. Okay, and, and grace is when you get something that you do not deserve. And boy, oh boy, uh, have we been given something that we do not deserve. Okay, just as where God did not need to answer the prayer of Samson to wreck the house of the Philistines and to avenge uh, what they did for his two eyes. We are a people that, that, honestly, God doesn't owe us salvation. And I think so often uh, we operate from the mentality that he does. But the reality is that we, we are the ones that have sinned. We are the ones that have separated ourselves from the Lord. We are the ones that have broken that relationship. But God, in his grace, not because of anything you've done, okay? You didn't coerce God to come die on the cross for you. But in his love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus Christ comes, he, he takes on flesh, he, he lives a perfect life, and he dies on the cross for my sins and for your sins the things that we deserve to be punished for, God decides to take upon himself. And the perfect life that Christ lived can be credited to us through faith. And with that, the separation that sin brought between us and God is closed. We're brought back into relationship with the Lord. And the reason that this happened is purely by grace. God consistently shows throughout the scriptures that he is a God of grace and the greatest gift that he has ever given, the greatest way in which he has ever shown grace was on the cross. And so I encourage you, uh, if you are a Christian this morning, then man, like we're about to sing some worship songs, praise him. Like let's, let's seriously, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, like, thank God for that grace. Like never, never lose sight of how amazing that is. Never lose sight of how awesome it is that our God saved you when you didn't have to. And man, if you're not a Christian, then I would just encourage you to, to come over. Like, we, there's an awesome God. You've gotten to see some of his character this morning. If you think that you're too broken, you're not. God restores the broken. If you think that you don't deserve his love, you're right, you don't. But you know what? He still wants to give it to you because he's good. And he wants to call you his child. John 1 talks about that as many as believe in him, uh, they get the right to become children of God. What an awesome invitation we have. So uh, the band's going to come back up now, and uh, I'm just going to close this in prayer. And, and yeah, in, in conclusion here, I want you to really think about those, those uh, last three things. First off, what am I doing in my life um, that, that may be giving people an occasion to mock the God of the universe? Um, second, how is God working through the painful experiences in my life? There was no more painful experience than the cross, and there's no more beautiful thing that happened than what happened on the cross. And then finally, um, how am I going to respond to God's grace? How will I respond in either accepting it or in thanking him for it? Let's pray. Um, God, we love you so much. I thank you that you are an awesome God, um, that you strengthen us by your spirit that you've called us to be your children, uh, that you've forgiven us by your grace, Lord. You are mighty, you're awesome, and Lord, we want to praise you in everything. We want to praise you in these songs, but God, when we leave here, we, we want to praise you in our lives. We want to be empowered by your spirit to make disciples. God, we ask that as we go through here, as we go to our classes this week, as we go to work, as we encounter other people, God, that we would be ambassadors, that we would be people that, that faithfully represent you. 
God, empower us by your spirit. We know we're broken. We're aware of our weaknesses, God. And honestly, they're probably deeper than we even know. But Lord, we thank you that you see that. You see the depths of who we are and you love us the same. So God, you deserve all praise, all glory. We thank you for who you are. And it's in your son's awesome name we pray. Amen. Let's be standing, guys. Amen.